Hi everyone, welcome to Cafe Curiosity. Today I'm joined by Mujaki, who is an interesting person in that he is a biker, a dad, um, a professional everything, and uh, perhaps not in that order, but I'm looking forward to this conversation because it links into um, a story on a previous in episode, which was about um, a, a dad who is about to embark on this motorcycling journey, and it causes quite a bit of havoc in his life and for his family. So I thought it would be interesting to speak to a real-life biker to understand how it all works and how it fits into um, one's life. So, Majaki, welcome to Cafe Curiosity. Thank you for making the Thank time. You. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So perhaps we can start by just getting to know a little bit about you. So, you know, um, where did you grow up um, and what do you do? Uh, like you said, my name is Mujaki Ramoneng. Yeah. And um, I'm currently the Honda Motorcycle South Africa Motorcycle Ambassador. Yes. And um, that's my part-time hobby type thing. And then in terms of my everyday work, I'm in the IT industry. Mm -hmm. um, where did I grow up? I grew up in Lesotho. Nice. Um, I was born this side, but my parents are both from Lesotho. So um, they then went back soon after I was born. And then I grew up there until I was about 13. And then we moved back here. So mm. I've been here since 13 until now. Nice. And I'm, um, I'm a father for, I've got two kids. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I was a husband. I'm now a divorcee. Uh, life happened, life happened, but yeah, so yeah, um, that's me, um, a motorcycle enthusiast. Yes, so um, yes, life happens, um, and I hope it's not the, the motorcycle that got in the way of your marriage, uh, but we'll talk a bit more about that as we go along. Um, what do you remember about growing up in Lesotho? What was that like? I, I grew up... Uh, we were we were raised in a very remote area of Lesotho, you know. Uh, but I know I was really fascinated by anything with an engine. Uh, we hardly saw any cars. Mm -hmm. But whenever there was a car that came by or a bike that came by, I would make sure I ran towards the road and would sit there and watch it from the beginning where we can actually see it until it go past. If the, yeah. the driver happens to stop, even better so we can hang out and just watch the car and then it goes so i've been really fascinated by anything with an engine since then although i knew nothing about it so yeah um, i mean my family no one in my family even owned a car so uh, but i found it very fascinating so yeah it was a very remote area um i think i was lucky enough for my parents to actually vacate the area because then that exposed us into um, mm -hmm. more civilized life, if I may put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. Um, growing up and we would go, like on holidays, we would go to like our homeland or our village in Zimbabwe. And um, some of the things that I remember very specifically are like, you know, the, the smell of the smoke from the fire 
and oh, then yeah. Yeah. um yeah. having yeah. like you know they they we had like mango trees so you'd literally go and sit in the mango tree and eat these mangoes. I was very, very young then, but I, I know oh, that yeah. like my siblings, you know, I'd watch them do this. I never climbed oh, a tree yeah. myself. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I also remember like my granny, that like there'd be a chicken, that like they'd kill a chicken and then she'd always smoke it on top of the fire before she actually cooked it. Oh yeah. And, and yeah. that would just yeah. be there. And I think these things yeah. are like, you know, so vivid in my memory and sometimes I wish life could be that simple again where you're just like sitting at home and eating mealies what are some yeah. of the things that you miss from that time I think I miss the 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 freedom you know the carelessness that you have as a child you are yeah. just carefree you know um and I think the, the the environment the landscapes were a bit rich then you know like you mentioned would have peaches, would have your mealies, would have, you know, it, we, we never really stopped. We had a lot to go yeah. around for everybody. Yeah. So, and, and people were very generous even then. I mean, uh, you'd invite a total stranger into your house and say, hey, have you eaten, you know, <laughs> have some meat or something like that. So that, the Ubuntu type thing that used to happen back then, you know, yeah. so that was, yeah, that's something that, you know, I wish it never really disappeared because we don't have much of that anymore. Eh? No, we don't. And it's so crazy that you mentioned this, like the generosity, because I think we are in a world now where we are not very trusting. So it's hard to be generous because you don't know how that's going to be taken. Right. So I think they almost like two sides. There's the side where it's like, oh, who do you think you are to be this kind or generous to me? And you're like, geez, I'm just being nice. And then there's the type or the other extreme where someone's literally just going to take advantage or something crazy is going to happen to you. Um, yeah. How have you found that as a parent? Um, that really made me, I would say, a very selfish parent. Yeah. Um, uh, like I said, I've got two daughters. You'll see the gap in terms of age. The other one is 14 yeah. and the other one is four. So okay. there's a 10-year gap there because... I really had to fight with myself and, you know, convince the wife otherwise as well to say, we really don't need another child because, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> because I'm, I'm so, I don't know. I think I'm an overthinker. Yeah. Um, I'll say, why am I bringing these innocent human beings in this very cruel world? You know, yeah. what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen if I'm no longer around? So I worry too much. So, um, it was it was really a huge convincing on the wife's part yeah. for me to concede having another child now yeah. being two. So um, I worry all the time. I think I worry even more because I'm raising daughters. Yeah. I sometimes I sometimes think would it be better if they were boys or something? Yeah. I don't know. So it's a it's a it's a. I find myself being very selfish. You know, if they want to go play. Uh, I take a chair and go sit outside and, and watch them play. <laughs> when I'm tired of sitting, they need to stop playing. You know, oh it's time to go into the house, you know. Oh, so my goodness. It's not that freedom anymore for them to just roam around and disappear and come back, you know, when mm -hmm. it gets dark or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I find me working a lot. So It is scary. I guess it's it also, you know, how quickly things can go wrong. I don't think that like any of us wants to live 
with that kind of um, outlook where you're wishing or hoping for the worst. I don't think we do. But just when you hear some of the stories and understand some of how easily things happen, then I think you can't you can't really blame yourself. And I don't think it's a matter of you really being selfish per se, but you just have this huge responsibility. So take me back to like, you know, becoming a father for the first time. That was a life-changing experience, I must say. You know, when you think you've got everything figured out, you have your life figured out, you, you know people you love and things like that, you think things are going for you. And then there's this little innocent thing that comes to the world and then it changes your life. It changes yeah. the perspective, how you look at things, you know. Mm. But first and foremost, it changed how I actually looked at my wife then. Because yeah. I, then, I then sort of appreciated and respected her more. And I completely understood this super, superhuman capabilities that women in general are blessed with because i was i was lucky enough to be in that delivery room mm. and yeah and uh, well it was a cesarean section yeah and i i was in awe to see them cutting this human up mm-hmm. and, and taking another human out of her it was like watching like these sci-fi movies and exactly it's the scariest thing it's real (laughs) i love how you did that thing right because i was a birthing partner once and i was also watching the c-section happen and they cut and it's not such a big cut so i was still okay but then this doctor then like went in like literally like you know yeah i'm like and then i'm looking at her face because she's got this um shit yeah covering can see and then I'm looking at her face and it's she doesn't feel anything. She's even asking me what's going on. You know, I'm like you can't feel anything. <laughs> so that was you're gonna pass like, out. Were you one of those are you one of those people who almost, gets squeamish? I, I, I didn't but but I almost did. Yeah. But wow. yeah I had to be strong. I had to be strong for her because otherwise if I passed out I thought she's gonna panic and think what's going on because she can't <laughs> even see what's going on. So yeah yeah. yeah. Well, that made me appreciate her more. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, I guess, being more gentle as well because I'm like, wow, if you can take that, you know. Um, and but but the child in general, the child came in, and um, you, you have this feeling. You thought you loved people, but all of a sudden you have this huge sense of love to this one. You know, you love more than you've ever loved before, and mm. you start looking at things differently. You start. I started wearing a seatbelt when I'm driving. Wow. So you, you didn't wear a seatbelt? Seriously? Well, I did. I did. But all of a sudden, what I'm trying to say is you start to be very cautious about everything because yeah. you really want to you wanna be there for this one. You know, you, you want to take all the precautions to make yeah. sure that you are there for this little one. You know, so, yeah, uh, everything, everything, all of a sudden, everything matters. Yeah. And yeah, it was a really life changing experience. And how did you find it? You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about how expensive life is in general. And, um, you know, we both then sort of said like, geez, like we can barely cope looking after ourselves. We wonder how people, you know, who are parents or who have children do it. How, how did that adjustment happen? Like, were you quite prepared 
sort of like financially as well to have children or did you all of a sudden find yourself like 80% of your earnings are going towards a child and you're struggling with it like how was that transition funny enough you you think you're prepared until you're there and then you realize uh, I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was yeah um we we had a child after I think we were like three years into the marriage Mm-hmm. So we really waited a bit and tried to get ourselves ready and stuff. And um, and the child came and we thought we were ready. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we were not as ready as we, we thought we were. You know, you find yourself going to buy nappies on account. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it, it got that hectic, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But, but we managed to pull through. Um uh, little by little, uh, we managed to to pull through. You cut cost here and there, and see where you can you can adjust and things like that. But eventually, it worked out. Yeah, but hey, kids are not are not cheap. No, <laughs> kids definitely. are not cheap. So, yeah. if you were to be giving advice to someone who's about to embark on the journey of parenting, like what would you give? What advice would you give about parenting in general? And then what advice would you give to prospective fathers? Um, I would say to prospective fathers, they need to be ready to alter their life. Um, Mm -hmm. Because um, not being a father totally, um, maybe allow me to call it being a boy for a lack of a better word. And all of a sudden being this responsible man or father, there's a huge shift in terms of, um, a lot of things that needs to shift mentally and some things are physical that needs to change. Um, you're not going to be out as many times as, you'd li- as you'd like to. You're not going to be uh, probably out drinking with friends or something like that. So everything changes, you know. Mm-hmm. So you need mm-hmm. to be mentally ready to, you know, enter into that change. Yeah. And um, try and prep a lot, you know, <laughs> to a lot of preparation and... Um, even maybe two years before that, you know, try and save where you can because Mm -hmm. you would like to be, or the little one to be as comfortable as, 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 as possible, you know? So um, like I'm saying, you don't want to be, find yourself like me trying to go and buy nappies on an account, you know, Mm -hmm. checking the account. Do I still have credit? How many nappies can I get? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Try and prepare as as much as you can. You know, maybe even have a chat with a couple of people who already have kids. You know, try and find out how much are things. You know, milk. If the child is not gonna be breastfeeding, the 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 this milk that you have to buy, they don't come cheap as well. So yeah, it's that. It's nappies. It's it's a lot. It's it's the medical things. You know, kids yeah. are sick all the time. I think it's because they can't even tell you what's wrong. So every mm. time they cry, you're thinking maybe they're sick. Now you run to the doctor. Mm-hmm. The doctor says, "No, it's fine. You know, <laughs> maybe the child was just hungry." <laughs> like, but oh, you, you still have to pay them for that. It's fine, right? <laughs> yeah, you're like, I wish the child can just say I'm hungry. You know, <laughs> instead of crying the whole night <laughs> and the sleepless nights. Oh yeah, no. Um, luckily, I had, I had, I don't know. I think all women are like that, very understanding, very patient, and things like that. Because I love my sleep, so mm. um, she, she would be 
all by herself throughout the night. I would even move out of the room to go to another room. Wow. <laughs> and the excuse would be, I'm leaving you guys to bond, but I know it's me getting away from this whole mess, you know? So, yeah. Shame um, on you. I guess it's like, do you feel it has <laughs> to do with our, our culture as Africans that, um, you know, it's kind of like, oh, she'll be on night duty on her own. Or do you think that it's just like that, regardless of the culture, the relationship, the race? I think it's influenced a lot by culture. Mm. Um, I don't know. Um, I know we, in my culture um, as men, you never even got to see your child until the child was like three months. Mm. So those very first three months, you are very much like, you know, you don't have a kid because you got nothing to worry about. You don't even see the wife or the child for the first three months. So, okay, changes are there now. We are there all the time. We are there from birth, but mm. we still very much leave everything to the poor woman, you know, yeah. to, to manage because mm. we are not really um, introduced to these things, you know. Yeah. Uh, we were sidelined. So we are trying to find our way into it. So yeah. a lot of times we, even if when you're there, we don't really know what to do. You know, we'll be there and almost crying with you, but we really don't know yeah. how we can help because I guess we have been sidelined for that long. So, but I think there's a shift, there's a change and I'm liking it where fathers are getting involved. They are there during, from birth, you know, mm-hmm. from from the actual delivery room, because I, in my opinion, I would say I, I would wish uh, all all the fathers, or most if not all, would actually be present in that delivery room, because I think the life changing moments happen in that room. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. so I think it's very eye opening and just. I think you almost bond so. as well in that moment, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think a lot of fathers who are disconnected from their kids. I sort of associated with them being absent during that very critical moment, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then somehow maybe leads to, that's just my uneducated comment to say, then leads to this disconnection that the father would have with, with their kids. So yeah, I wish they could be there. And yeah, the bond yeah. starts, starts right there. Absolutely. What do you think, um, or what was the greatest lesson you learned from your first daughter to your second one, and that helped you to do things differently? Um, Preparation, definitely. The one that I told you that you need to be prepared. Yeah. Financially and emotionally, (laughs) and, you know, be prepared in everywhere possible. So with the second one, I think we were, we, we had a lot of experience. So we were much, much more, much more prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a huge discussion, like I said earlier, whether we're going to have this kid or not, because I was I was not for it. I was yeah. totally not for it. But <laughs> eventually I had to give in to what um, my wife then really wanted as well, yeah. and which turned out to be a very good decision. I mean, I'm, I'm loving both of them. So um, we we went into it well, well prepared than the first time. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. And we understood a bit more about kids uh, as well, because, you know, uh, instead of always rushing to the doctor every time the child cries, yeah. <laughs> you then explore a couple of other things to say, yeah. maybe the child is hungry, you know, or maybe they just need to be tanned because they've yes. been sleeping on one <laughs> side for that long. You know, so we had a bit of experience there. So I guess the second child, it gets easier. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's just, it's, um, I guess, always amazing how, you know, we, we progress through life and in that journey, they're almost like these lessons that you don't, they're not necessarily that apparent to you, but mm. like, as mm. you, as you do stuff, you find yourself naturally uh, doing things or That's understanding true. things. And then the stress true. levels aren't so high. And so as a result, you're, you're more in balance. So I always true. find that, that like really cool about how life works out. That is so true. That is so true. So tell me about biking. Like when, like what attracted you to becoming a motorcyclist? It, it happened, I would say by accident even, eh? Um, hmm. When when life started happening, <laughs> um, I sort of was looking for like a getaway type thing, you know, and I was lucky enough to have entered a certain competition where um, it was a four by four trip. You win a four by four trip, you mm -hmm. and I got shortlisted. I went through the stages, and me and a couple of other guys, we won this opportunity to actually be in this expedition of driving these four by fours all the way to Kenya through oh, nice. through like six different countries you know it went on for like 25 days so, how do you get time to take off 25 days when you've got like a small child yeah yeah <laughs> I had I had to forget about the daughter because I just wanted you know to get away a bit yeah yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> but even at work, I had to really negotiate. I took all my leave at once. And then I also applied and said, guys, can you give me the leave for next year? Because I don't even have enough. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I explained what it was for. And then they were like, okay, sounds like a once in a, a lifetime experience. So, you know, we don't normally do this, but we'll allow you. Yeah. So um, I took those days I came back owing them a lot of days that I had to wake up <laughs> that you'd taken yeah so tell yeah. us about this trip yeah so it was like a, a month long or so from yeah. South Africa to Kenya yeah so this was sponsored by a certain brand they were actually promoting their newly um, arrived four by four so they gave us a couple of those and we had to drive them into this very difficult terrains I guess the, the point was to prove that their cars can face mm -hmm. every different situation thrown at it um, so it was through that where I realized the thrill and the you know the the the, the moment that brings sanity when you are in the middle of nowhere really, mm -hmm. you know um, no noise only the animals around you and things like that where nature. you find this nature you know you find this peace of mind so um, that really got into me. Uh, maybe it was because you did it for that long, like a whole month, mm. <laughs> camping on every time, you know, because we couldn't get to the next town. We pop on the side of the road and we camp, we sleep there, and then we keep going the following day. So um, that opened something in me, I guess, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I got back from that, um, I, I then was thinking, how do I keep it going, you know? Yeah. And um, I realized that getting myself a four by four and maintaining it and going into these trips was a bit outside of my budget. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, the idea yeah. was, how can I do it in a more economical way, you know, mm. but still feel the same, you know, thrill. Yes. And, and having a motorcycle, 
that's where the idea came through. Is that maybe I can still do this. I can go to the same terrains and you know experience the same thing, go camping, whatever the case is, but mm. on a motorcycle. Yes. So I then went and got myself a 250 scrambler, mm-hmm. and I would normally every now and then just take it out on the fields and just play there all by myself. And I I enjoyed that feeling. You know, it made it cleared my mind. I got away from from things, you know, and mm. Eventually, I was like, okay, maybe I can take this thing to work. Wow. (laughs) And then um, I had to get a road legal bike. It was still a 250 scrambler as well. Uh, But this one now I can actually use on the public road. So tell us before before you go on, right? So for those of us who don't know much about motorcycles, right? You're talking about a 250 or whatever. Like, what what is that? And like, you know, how does it all work? So 250, uh, we talking we we talk in terms of now the engine sizes. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think even legally, you know, there's a certain age that's only allowed to ride up to a certain size of of an engine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you're still is it younger than 16 or younger than 18, where you are allowed to ride like a 150 or so, yes. and then yeah. once you are over that age, you can then go higher. So you, you get your engine sizes from as little as 125, 150 cc's, 250, 300, and then up it goes. Mm. So generally for an adult, the right size to start with would be a 250 because, mm. you know, you are somewhere, it's not, it's not too small to handle you, but it's also not too big to sort of, you know, go out of control. Yeah. So 250 becomes that the right size to sort of land with yes so yeah so so then these numbers are your engine sizes your 250s or they go all the way up to like your 1800s or something like that so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so 250 so if you if you are um out on the road and i see for example the bikes that the 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 delivery guys use like the food delivery etc like typically what mm. kind of bike is that from an engine size perspective so those most of them are anything between 125 and 300 okay so now that detent depends on the pocket of the person buying the bike yeah um because yeah, yeah the, the obviously the 125 would be cheaper mm. and then the 300 would be a bit more expensive than the 125 okay. but most of them are ranging on that size between 125 and and 300 cc okay so basically so, um that's a good size bike to start off with so that we've got it that's in the mind. Entry, entry entry level type of a size that yeah. you can start yeah okay yeah. cool so yeah. then you've got your 250 you move on to the one that's road worthy and you get onto the road then what happens then i ride that for a little over a year yeah um, i'm really enjoying it going to work and all that nice and in between i see some bike events you know i go pop in there mm-hmm. with my 250 but then i'm like guys can i join you but everyone is looking down on me it's like yeah well you're gonna have to leave you're gonna have to leave a day before to come and find us at a certain place i'm like ah guys you know no. so that, that, that's when you, you then just get to understand these different engine sizes and what needs what what you need in order to you know to, to do a certain function you know yeah then I realized okay so I need I need a bigger engine <laughs> yeah yeah and then yeah soon after that I got myself 
a naked bike, a 600cc naked bike. Mm-hmm. And um, the shift from a 250 to that, uh, it's huge. It's yeah. huge. I mean, the power deliverance is, is totally different. Um, I remember going to fetch this bike from Pretoria because I stay on the East Rand. Mm. Um, I was sweating the whole way because um, I'm used to this small thing where you sort of, you know, rev it all the way, but it still doesn't go yeah. anywhere to this very powerful 600. Almost like you, you rev it and you feel like it's gone and you've not even done that. He wants to throw you off. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to guard on that accelerator the whole time. Yeah. So yeah, it was a huge shift, but the exciting part was now all of a sudden I can go to this bike event mm-hmm. and I don't feel, I don't feel like I don't belong, you know? Yeah. Um, and soon after that, I even joined the bike club because oh, I'm nice. now, I feel like I'm one of the guys now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did that. I joined the club and then you'd ride around with this group and then, you know, and um I rode that for probably about two years as well. Yeah. And then after that, by coincidence as well, there was this competition going by Honda South Africa where they had a competition going to say, if, if, if you enter and you get selected, you then get to come and ride this very new brand of bike that just came in. That was when the Africa Twin were coming in after a very long time that they were not being produced. Mm. Um, so I got that crack. I got that chance. I went in. The aim to go there was, I know I hadn't written, written um, an adventure bike before. I mean, yeah. I'm just two years into this biking fraternity, you know. I yeah. wasn't really looking at going any further than um, the first session of the competition because there are two sessions. The mm. first uh, uh, elimination stage, and then after that, it goes to the main one now where you really are competing. Yeah. So I went there. The aim was, I just want to experience this. I want to ride this bike. Um, and then after that, I'll be happy. I was happy to walk away, you know? Yeah. Um, so we went there for three days. They couldn't tell us the results. They said, we're going to call you guys and tell you who made it. We went there, 30 participants. They had to cut it down to about 14. Wow. So we waited for a couple of days for them to call us back. And the organizer calls me back and says, hey, listen, I've got bad news for you. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Okay. And thank you for the, for the opportunity to come there. And um, I, um, I love the experience and good luck to everyone who's going forward. He says, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. The bad news that I have is now you're going to have to come back. Yes. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Love it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I went back for the final session and I got to ride with these experienced riders, you know, mm. and uh, luckily with me is when I commit into something, I go all out. So yeah. um, they say, you're going to ride. And some people, a lot of people that they're riding with are experienced and they've ridden these bikes forever. You are new. So you're going to have to bring it in you to up mm-hmm. your game. So, and, and I did that. I, I brought my game and mm-hmm. some of the guys there, they were like, are you sure you never ridden this bike before? i like, first time ever off-road. I've never ridden anything off-road. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I had to bring the AK. Mm. Uh, the short story, uh, the long story short is by the end of that competition, 
because they paired us in two. So it yeah. was 14 of us, so it was seven teams. Mm. So by the end of the competition, me and my partner, we won the competition. Nice. So the price was, because they gave us brand new bikes to go ride, the price was the very same bike you're competing with, then it becomes your bike. Yeah. And then everybody else, they need to hand back the keys. Wow. So that's when my adventure riding lifestyle began. Now yeah. I have adventure bike um, that luckily I did not have to pay for. <laughs> wow. See, this is why you yeah. love this so much because you're like, I'm not worried about paying for this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, so I got back home. I still have my 600 CC. Yeah. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, I don't need this. <laughs> I've know? got a whole new bike. Wow. Exactly. So um, adventure riding or adve yeah, adventure riding is, is really big at the moment, right? So it's, I think yeah. it's um, like, why do you think that is actually? I, I think it, it is growing, but I think it's not growing as fast as the other, um, you know, like your super bikes and whatever. But the, the thing that makes it grow, I think, is because people are now no longer riding for fashion. Mm -hmm. They are now riding to explore. You know, it's yeah. about using this tool to get you to places where you never thought you'd be, you know, places that you never thought they existed. Now yeah. you're using this tool to get there. I, you're no longer using this tool to look cool, mm. to look like, you know, you are, you have arrived or whatever the case is. Now yeah. you're using it, yeah, to ex expose you to a lot of other new things. So I think that's why this, this that, that fraternity is actually... Uh, it's actually growing yeah. and the other thing about adventure bikes is you get you get both you get you get you get um how do i put it you know if you you can ride with your super bike riders yeah on your adventure bike and then you can go into these adventures off-road on your adventure bike so you have one bike that really is capable of doing all these other you know um Things, fields yeah. that have their dedicated bikes. It's not yeah. going to do it um, like spectacularly, but it is going to yeah. be able to do it. So, yeah. I like so it. Some people, some people say if they have to buy one bike for the rest of their uh, their lives, it would have to be an adventure bike because mm -hmm. then you have all these other divisions covered. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's, it's crazy because when I... Um... When, when I was learning, or at least what brought me to want to ride a bike was that um, that adventure of at least the, the, the being able to explore, right? Yeah. And to, yeah. Be do it, to do it in a different way. And it was during COVID. And obviously, there was a lot we could not do. I love to travel. And I thought, yeah. geez, it might be nice to, to do this on uh, two wheels, which was extremely wow. scary. So I wow. went from learning on a 150 okay. to buying a 750. Wow, that's a huge jump. That's a huge jump. <laughs> but you know what? It's like typically guess, like I'm a, I'm a very bad shopper, right? This is what my problem was. So yeah. I was online checking out bikes and then I was just like, oh, I don't know so much. Then I went to see a few bikes and 
I was like, oh, I'm not so sure. And then uh, I think someone sent me something about a bike show that had happened, like a virtual bike show. And then they were, they had like showed the MC750 and it just seemed so cool. And then I got into this rabbit hole of researching it and watching YouTube videos. And then I was like, that is the bike. That's the one that I'm going to get. I walked into the dealership like a few days later. I was like, I want that bike. And they're like, oh, but we don't have any. There aren't any in South Africa right now. And I was like, I don't care. I want that bike. And I'm going to have You bring bike. it in, yeah. Without You're such an impulsive laughing. buyer. <laughs> and, then, and so then I got this bike and I love it. So now I was still learning how to ride. And hmm. then I had gotten this 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 uh, this bike, which is a, a DCT, and I was obviously learning like fully manual. And so I now had this problem that like I was getting myself very confused between the oh, smaller yeah. bike and the big bike. Yeah. So then yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to park the big bike, and I'm just going to learn, get my license, and then see what happens. Yeah. And so yeah. then um, when I then had to really transition and ride my bike, I was so scared. Like I would be. I would be like, I would drop the bike, like just coming out of the garage because it was so huge. <laughs> and then I'd be like, they're kind of like trying to lift these 270 kilos or however much it is. Wow. Wow. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh. And then I'd get to the gate and then I'd just be so petrified to just turn onto the road and ride in the neighborhood, right? Yeah, that gives um, you actually brave because at that point, some people are like, okay, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. So at least you was, continue. It was it was oddly like liberating, right? Because I think there were small wins that came from the like oh, the neighborhood riding. Because I'd wake up before anything, and then I'm like at six o'clock I want to ride and just practice starting and stopping, for example. And then yeah. I remember the one day like coming around this bend and doing it like and not thinking about it and not slowing down like to a minute to a nothing mm. speed. And I was like, yeah. wow, this is amazing. And then like. <laughs> A kilometer later, I was like shaking because then I had gotten carried away and I couldn't stop. So it's, Ooh, it's I don't know, it's yeah, interesting, man. but it's exhilarating. Yeah, you are you are braver than I am. So yeah, I take a head out for you for that. <laughs> not even, not even. I think I still have moments now where I'm like, wow. Um, I don't know, I don't know. But like, once you're going, I think you're going. So, what has been your sort of like longest trip on a motorcycle uh, or longest adventure and where did you go um the longest was the one we planned with two other friends of mine um what we wanted to do was to actually go around lesotho like you know in full circle oh, wow. but not get inside so we went towards kzn devon mm -hmm. from devon then we went down to your your Eastern Cape. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we went to the Free State side and then came back up. So that was, I think that was about 1,600 kilometers in total. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that is the longest, I think, one trip that was the longest that I've ever done. There's been a couple of them where I actually I went into Lesotho a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, I've went into the free state and all that, uh, also KZN a couple of times, but that one of going actually, you know, around, around in that circle, that was the longest, yeah. Yeah, that sounds really yeah. cool. Like, what is there to see out there? Because, like, it's, uh, it's, 
it's it's I can see the 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 attraction of uh, like you know that like Lesotho is completely surrounded by South Africa. So you're like, oh yeah. wow, I'm going around yeah. this whole country. Like I can that yeah. completely I get. But what 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 is I, there to see out there? I think that that you need to be a person who loves nature. Yeah, you know, um, and then you're gonna be you know going through a lot of mountain passes and things like that mm-hmm. with very amazing views. Yeah. So. Um, and the other thing we regret was we didn't budget enough time. So mm-hmm. at some point it was a little rushed, more rushed than we actually would have preferred. So if you are really a nature person, you you know you can stop somewhere next to a cliff or something like that and just observe the yeah. beauty of, of of nature, take in that scenery and stuff like that. So that that was that was um, a lot of things. That was the main take out yeah. of the whole trip because otherwise just being on the road and flooring the whole thing the whole time there's no fun there so you need yeah. to find things that are entertaining you know yeah. and I, I was with these two friends of mine who are very friendly and people loving um, so they would stop and have a chat with the locals and you know mm. uh, find out about things and, and you know they see anything interesting they stop um, one friend would actually um without me realizing as we ride, I would just see him sort of go off the road and into a certain village. Then I turn around and then I follow him only to find that, you know, at some villages, they, when there's, I think what we call a tavern here, you know, where they sell alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would have like a white flag, you know, and that is a sign that is a sign that, okay, we're selling some, Okay. You know, yeah, brood, home brood type of, you know, yeah. and then you don't go there and go there like, where are you going? Like, no, let's go support the locals, you know, then you get there, <laughs> see the locals, we chat and everything else, you find out the history of, you know, those people, where they're coming from and things like that. So nice. that is the fun of the whole thing. Yeah, so I think so. I feel like... Have you found as well that like when I, I quite enjoy solo solo adventures um, and often people say to me, oh, you know, that's really dangerous. Like you need to be careful. And, you know, this is South Africa and all of that kind of thing. But I have found people to be so fantastic and so helpful and welcoming that um, I sometimes wonder, like, you know, is it true what uh, the fears that we have <laughs> of this yeah. country? I think mostly, especially because you're on a bike, everyone sort of wants to take care of you. You know, yeah, you look, yeah. you probably look very fragile on your bike and everybody wants to, besides the fact that the bike itself is like fascinating, you know, people yeah, just want to yeah. take care of you. So I also find that, but my issue, something that I still need to work on is that I'm very reserved. So when I'm all by myself, I sort of also shy away from talking to people and things like that, yeah. which takes away, you know, the whole thing out of the trip. So I need to open up more, mm-hmm. interact more with the people. So I think that would actually make a lot of my solo trips worthwhile. Absolutely. So the one thing yeah. that like, I know I, I kind of spoke to you about once was like this camping thing, right? So, I mean, guys, Come on, come like, on. I don't uh, understand why the two go so hand in hand, right? So if I'm planning a trip, I'm looking for like, where is it? Airbnb or somewhere where I can sleep, a proper bed. But everybody seems so addicted to 
motorcycling and camping. And I'm like, but why? Here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. It's not really about, you know, fussing about camping. With motorcycles, especially adventurers, is you're going to find routes that you never planned for. So you'd want to explore them. But when you're already booked somewhere, you know, you're going to see this road that you'd really like to find out where it's going. But mm. you can't because you're running against time. You need to check in somewhere at a certain time. So when you know you have your tent or whatever, you know, you're not really rushing against time. You say, if the sun sets, I park on the side and I camp. Oh my so gosh. So it's to the five. Come on now. I can't, I cannot. Like my thing to anyone who's thinking about this is that, you know what? You can go and check in and tomorrow you'll come back and explore that route. <laughs> no, but then sometimes you're just rushing against, you don't have enough time. So yeah, you yeah. take advantage of every little opportunity. So if you happen to detour and then, you know, it takes you longer than you thought and you're not making it to a certain place, no worry. You park wherever and you you stay at night. And you just, oh, wow. I'm not, not, I'm not that brave yet. It's not as bad, eh? It's, it's, it's <laughs> terrible. No, no. I think like I mentioned, I took this trip with the guys on these four by fours, the first one to these different countries. Yeah. I, there I was literally the only one who would religiously take out my tent, pitch it, and make sure I'm covered. Mm. Everybody else just spread the, these beds, what do they call them? The, ones the that sleeping bag? Uh, not even the sleeping bag. There's a, a stretcher. Mm -hmm. They would open their stretchers and sleep there on the open without a tent. Mm. Some without even a sleeping bag, just lying on their bed and say, we are just under these thousand stars or whatever thing. And I was <laughs> like, no, I want, I want to be covered. I'm in the tent. I'm going to zip it. I don't know. Wow. It's so, um, I think it's going to take a lot for me to be, to be a, a camper. I like to yeah. have a solid night's sleep or a bed with, the, you know, and I think it just helps with the energy for the adventure, but I'm, I'm, I might be converted. I, you never know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not completely... Give it, give it a try before you kick it, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, you know? if you put a million dollars on the other side of that try, I will do it. Uh, wow. <laughs> Pretend there's a million. Pretend there's a million dollars there and, you know, just shoot through it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so crazy. So, Mujaki, like, one of the things that um, I referred to earlier was this, this thing about, like, you know, people almost having... Uh, midlife crises and then they turn mm. either to like a really fast car or a motorcycle um mm. what do, what do you what do you think um will be happening when that happens and and does it does it really change or answer anything in that like midlife crisis space i don't know if it's really a midlife crisis i think i think sometimes people term it that when you start doing things that they really don't understand mm -hmm. and then they tend to tell me that you must be in a crisis of sort yeah so yeah so i think if someone gets somewhere where they've done things and you know things that they've been doing are now getting to be a little boring they need 
a certain change and some spices in there. And then they start looking at trying some different things. So um, that that could be that. Then it's classed as or classified as midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Some get to a point where they can now afford to take more risks. You know, mm. I can now you know be a bit a little bit of a daredevil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that is that. So if if it's still coming, I don't think it's still coming in my case. I think I've passed. <laughs> <laughs> think i'm now calming down yeah and, yeah and being more responsible so yeah well responsible on uh, uh on an africa twin which is like an 1100 i think right yeah yeah you know what what i did is um I, if i mentioned i wrote my first one for like two years mm-hmm. and then i i sold it because you'll realize that on an on an adventure bike you will not be as popular as the guy on a superbike. Yeah. You know, you're not going to draw as much attention, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> so I, 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 then, I then sold my adventure bike. I mm. went and bought myself one of the fastest superbikes, you know? Yes, the attention was there, but I realized soon enough, it, was, it took me two months literally to realize that um, I made a wrong decision. Yeah. Um, and then... Within that two months, I wanted a buyer for this bike. Luckily, where I bought it, they hadn't even changed the, the ownership of the bike. So okay. I literally just went back to them and say, don't even bother changing the ownership. Yeah, I'm bringing the bike back. Mm. Yes, I took a knock on it for bringing it back, but I took it back and then I went straight back into the adventure world again. So um, mm. sometimes it takes people a couple of, mistakes to realize which bikes really talks to them you know yeah um it's not everyone who adventure bike will talk to them uh, some people are really super bike riders you know mm-hmm. some are riders um some are you know so you have to find yourself exactly what are you some people are riding um i have a feeling that some people are actually riding wrong bikes for them you know yeah they just went with what the crowd was going for Mm. And they haven't really experienced which bike really speaks to them and yeah. fulfills their purpose. So yeah. So I also how had to make get those- that exposure though, because I feel like maybe, you know, you know, like I was explaining my own journey that like you know you see something and you like it and you're like that's the one, right? Like and then mm. I was convinced and I and I love my bike. Um, yeah. But then like I could you know like when you look at like the different types of bikes they probably like I don't know twelve different types of bikes or categories that you could try out. Yeah. Um, yeah. How would one who or someone who wants to get into biking go and get exposure and understand which one appeals to them the most? Um, you know what? I'm not really gonna play the race card here, but before we did not have the platform to go and experience this thing and compare these bikes. Mm. But now opportunities are there, you know, you can literally walk into any dealership and say, I want to test ride that bike, you know, Mm. they would let you. Uh, I know currently with with Honda, we also running those promotions where we say, we have these three or four or five different types of bikes. Just come in, bring Mm. your helmet, you know, come in and and have a ride, take a ride. Mm. And see which bike I, I would like people to actually take that opportunity to go and really you don't need to buy that bike just go there ride it 
and then come back, write a different type. Mm. And there's a, t- there's a type there that will actually talk to you. You yeah. will then find which bikes actually suit you better, you know? Mm. Mm. Because otherwise you will be that guy who takes a 1,800 kilometer strip on a superbike. <laughs> and yes, it's doable. You can do it, but I can promise you, you're not going to do it as comfortable as me on an adventure bike, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're a person who travels a lot, you know, that needs to count for something. Or mm-hmm. if you are just one who just likes to do the breakfast runs around, you know, that's a different type of a bike as well, you know. So yeah, you need to go in there and, and to really explore, you know. Yeah. Dealerships are there and they, they allow that to happen. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then what about some of the dangers, right? So I know that, like, I I... I, I don't think I can be a commuter kind of rider because I just get so frazzled by the traffic and, you know, yeah. people get too close. I've been dinged a couple of times and that kind of thing. So, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the, the issue is when you, when you literally get on that bike, you are taking your own life into your own hands, you know? Yeah. yeah. My, my, my philosophy or my thinking every time I get on a bike is firstly I ride like nobody sees me so I need to assume that no one sees me yeah so when when and and I already anticipate what they're gonna do because they don't see me Mm -hmm. and then when they do that you are already ready for for that to happen so you have already established a solution and a plan how you gonna you know navigate that situation yeah and the other thing is not to be excited. You know, when you're using a public road, it's a public road. Everybody's entitled to be there. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like you are entitled and then you're going to be pushing cars out of the way <laughs> because they need to make way for you. And, you know, you're going to be shooting at these very high speeds because you can and other people can. So you need to be user friendly. You need to use the road, you know, in a friendly way. Mm-hmm. and accommodate mm-hmm. everybody and otherwise if you want to speed go to a racetrack in a right. <laughs> that's what i normally say so those two things seems to be working for me especially the one that says you need to ride like nobody sees you because it's really dangerous out there every time you ride past a car and you sort of turn and look at the driver the driver is on their cell phones mm-hmm. you know and um this person you are coming through they never saw you on their mirror you know, some of them just hear you as you go past because they are just focused on these cell phones that they are holding while they are driving. Yeah. So you can't do anything about it. The only mm. thing you can do is to look after yourself. So yeah. by assuming that nobody sees you mm-hmm. and everybody, in fact, you also need to assume that people don't know how to drive. Don't <laughs> assume because there's a, there's a solid line this mm-hmm. person is not going to change a lane, you know? Yeah. So you need to assume they don't know what they are doing. They're going to do the most idiotic things ever. And by doing yeah. that, I find that you place yourself at the advantage of, you know, having the plan as to how you're going to react when mm-hmm. that thing happens. Yeah. Um, yes. yes. Would you let your, your daughters ride? I, I ride with mine, the older one. She yeah. loves it. So... Um, but it takes a, an extensive and more type of, you know, precaution when I'm riding with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would actually like her to ride. So, yes, I would, I would let her ride. But uh, 
it's just a matter of teaching her how to sort of take all these precautions you know mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of there are a lot of accidents that can be avoided and mm-hmm. so if one actually take the initiatives to try and avoid those yeah and if god forbid there's one that's really directed at you i guess there's nothing you can do but you need to try and do everything possible to stay safe um mm-hmm. it is it is definitely not safe especially now when you know i think it was safer when people did not have cell phones yes. but now with people on their cell phones the whole time it you know you need to have strategy around it you know have a a different mindset and try and you know get away from situations like that but it can be safely done yes it can what do you yeah. think would be the benefit for her as a woman to ride in 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 the world like what do you think it will do for for your daughter or your daughters um for for some reason i think and i've seen all the ladies who are actually bike riders there's a there's a how do i put this independence type of mentality there you know mm. they they are not really waiting for a man to do anything for them you know yeah. they 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 handle things themselves yeah. so it shows a certain level of you know um independence mm-hmm. um besides the fact that you know um it, it's gonna you know um showcase a lot for you it's gonna exp- um expose you to a whole lot more Mm-hmm. um but it 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 gives you that sense of you are in control and you seems to be handling things proper i think it shows that you know you don't shy away from challenges you know yeah. you actually go ahead on so mm-hmm. it i think it takes a special breed of ladies to be mm-hmm. riders you know and i respect all of them you know it's not it's not it's not for sissies no pun intended but yeah. wow <laughs> And I I think the ladies yeah. who ride would say to you it doesn't take a special kind of lady it just takes a special kind of person. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. I'll take that because <laughs> but then you know we've always had this thing that we as men we are supposed to be more braver than ladies and more yes. courageous and all that. Then when you see these ladies actually being more braver and courageous than we are and you're like mm-hmm. wow You know, wow. Uh, over the past weekend I was with another lady who is a racer. You know, she races these bikes mm-hmm. and I was looking at her riding I'm like I would never even try that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And she's going for I'm it. Not gonna t- I'm not going to take it that far. Wow. So, What a wonderful world we live in that we absolutely. can do these things and like you were saying we now have the opportunity the platform is there so regardless of where you come from your gender you can totally do it and it applies to no. almost everything in life no restrictions at all i mean the 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 world is your is your oyster i mean you can do anything you want so it's just a matter of you going and taking advantage of the platforms yeah absolutely yeah i agree so on cafe curiosity we always ask these last questions of all our guests and the first one being outside of your work and your passions what are you most curious about in the world wow um what am i most curious about i think currently it's just 
probably, you know, um, the invention, the technology, you know, that's something that, you know, I'm really curious about. Where is it taking us? You know, this, this um, um, robotic world, you know? Yeah. Um, um, are we going to now stop thinking? Machines are going to think on our behalf. Are we, because we're already there where cars are driving themselves, you know? Yeah. Uh, are we letting these machines take over? Uh, you know, are we, is it doom and gloom? Or, you know, is it, you know, are we going for the better world, you know? So that's, that's where I'm curious about. And, you know, I worry a lot to say, are we, and are we raising this kid for the better? You know, they are going to see the better world or it's actually yeah. going to get worse, you know? So yeah. it's, it's something like that. You know, they say technology is good. Some people are saying it's bad. It's taking our jobs away. So it's, it's a very hard balance to strike so yeah 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 wow i i guess so it's it 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 scares me quite a bit because you know we can't deny the the convenience um and life improvement that comes with these technological advances but at the same time sometimes i worry about how it impacts our ability to interact and connect as humans you know so i think that's 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 an interesting one that i'm also watching um, what are you most fearful about in, in the world? Um, losing my kids. I Oof. think that's one thing that terrifies me. Yeah. I'm not so scared about them losing me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just scared about me losing them, you know. So, yeah, um, um, that's, that's, that's one thing I, you know, I've seen parents go through things where, for whatever reason, let's say a child passes by you, passes mm -hmm. on, which is a very sad thing. And I really imagine I'm like, how do they actually handle it? Because yeah. you know, that that terrifies the hell out of me. So yeah. Yeah. I pray that um, you don't have to experience that and that no yeah. one has yeah. to really. Yes, and, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then what are you most hopeful about in the world? You know what? I'm hopeful that as much as we are in the dark, <laughs> <laughs> load shedding, blackouts. Literally, <laughs> literally, I'm hopeful that eventually things will come right. You know, yeah. we won't have to worry about electricity and water and mm. things like that, because you know we now worry about these things that we shouldn't actually be worrying about. We still have a whole lot of other things to worry about, but mm -hmm. these just pile up on the difficulties that we already have. And most of them are really self-inflicted because of the greediness of some people we have. Yeah. But I think eventually the good will prevail and you know we will find ourselves out of the mess that we find ourselves in, you know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So and I, I, think, I think we're all hoping that that's, uh, you know, the situation will turn around and that we can, we can focus on other things because I think there's so much ingenuity and innovation that is now going to work around that we could possibly yeah. be using to advance ourselves and, and make life better in other aspects um, and yeah. not just sort of like the basic things so I hear you on that so yeah. Majaki thank you so much for joining us and it's been it's been fun and I hope that, you know, if there's anyone who's watching or listening, they're encouraged to explore the world of motorcycles. Um, and also that, you know, uh, behind a motorcyclist actually is a real person who um, 
can include or do a lot of other things within that. It's not, you know, the, that lens that we see of the guys in the movies and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, hooligans, hooligans that ride bikes. You know? Hooligans, exactly, who yeah. ride bikes. Not at you all. Actually realize, you actually realize when you get into that fraternity that they are the most softest, kindest people there, you know? They just probably hide behind the gear and whatever, and you think... These are the most ruthless people ever, but they are actually the nicest, you know? And um, once we put those helmets on as well, you know, we go beyond the racial divide. There's there's no racism there. There's no sexism there. We are just all bikers and riders, you know? So um, it's just a wonderful world. I hope people can actually allow themselves to, to experience it. Absolutely, absolutely. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I hope um, to ride soon with you and and go yes, on, on an adventure yes please yes please you know <laughs> Absolutely. it has to happen it needs to happen <laughs> let's do it let's do it soon yeah.